dear brothers and sisters, in this uh, sixth Sunday of Easter time, the church gradually starts to prepare our minds and hearts for Pentecost and to bring our attentions to the Holy Spirit. We read in the gospel this passage from the last discourse of Christ to his disciples in the upper room when uh, he reassures them that he will not leave them alone, but he will send and the advocate the Holy Spirit. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you always, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot accept, because it neither sees nor know him, knows him, but you know him, because he remains with you and then will be in you. Who is this uh, Holy Spirit that he sent to his disciples during one of the apparitions of the, when he was risen during Pentecost and then transferred to each member of the Christian community through confirmation and then specifically to ordained priests through the apostolic succession. He is uh, described as an advocate who will be with us always. An advocate which fulfills the role to defend and to support emotionally the defender through the trial. The accuser, the first accuser is Satan. Satan rages against us and accuses us. Satan allures us into sin and then paradoxically, <coughs> rather than rejoicing because we are in sin, he rages against us and accuses us because we followed him. It's a, it, it's a mad anger. It's hard to find also the logic in this anger. He lures us into disobeying God's law, tempting us to become like God, and then he scorns us when we experience the failing results of this obtence, that we don't become like God. We, we lose even the divinities in us. When we sin against God, it's the sin itself that accuses us in front of God, that witnesses us to us that we are away from God and we are alone and in misery. But God longs for our repentance, for our return to him. He doesn't close to us the doors of his forgiveness out of resentment, lack of patience, vengeance. When we decide to return to the Father and repent, his mercy is more than abundant. And when we ask, he also bestows abundant grace and strength to change the course of life. It's not enough to be forgiven. We think that when we are forgiven, we can start anew. No, sometimes God grants that the scars, the wounds, the inclination to do habitually, to sin habitually, may be healed by a type of work, a continuous work, which requires patience, resolution, and guidance. It's not forgiveness that immediately brings us on our feet and we are good to go. That will happen in heaven. Here, we need to deal with the consequences of our own bad decisions and the evil that influenced us from outside. The advocate in us protects us and consoles us from the persistent accusation of Satan. 
and pleads our cause to God the Father in the name of the blood that Christ shed to save us. He brings to God this evidence. Yes, this person is a sinner. This person sinned. This person is down in the dumps because he's not capable to do the good that he wishes. But because Christ has redeemed him, he's not accusable anymore. He really does like a trial, an act of advocacy. Then he's introduced by Christ as the spirit of truth, which the world cannot know. The world meant in this case as the group of humans who intentionally and deliberately reject God. And this is permeated by lies. The world does not know the spirit of truth, cannot even uh, conceive to enter into dialogue with the spirit of truth. The world lies and it feeds itself with lies. Starting from denying God's fatherhood, which is the first lie that uh, pervades the world, and confusing him as a jealous ruler rather than a father, the world ends up denying any sort of basic truth. We see this constantly today in our current culture where all that is basically evident is denied from gender ideology to woke culture to culture of rights like abortion and euthanasia. The truth as humble adherence to reality is simply denied, is not even uh, exercised. And uh, an atheistic and materialistic approach is violently worshipped, is imposed to every human being as a dogma, as the new truth. It denies the truth, but the falsity has to be worshipped as a truth. Many fall, many people also, we need to beware to judge because many, many human beings fall also into this trap um, by believing that they are serving the truth and the human being by implementing, following, adhering to these ideologies. There are others instead who do this maliciously. When we live by the spirit, loving God and our neighbor, loving ourselves in the pure light of Christ, in deeds and in actions, even at the cost of persecutions, with no compromise at all with the mentality of the world, we become more and more acquainted to the truth. The truth doesn't bother us anymore. We start to feel acquainted with the light. We desire it. We feel liberated by it, even when it's painfully a cause of a scorching conversion for us. In this pilgrimage on earth, the truth is not always, is not always for others, it's for us. It detects the light of Christ, detects another evil that I was not aware yesterday of yesterday. And yet we desire it. We desire the medicine. We desire the pain of the surgery because it liberates us. We walk better later. It's, des it's desirable like a good workout. You know him because he remains with you and he will be with you, Christ concludes. The Holy Spirit, who is truly and literally God, is God, is the third person of the divinity, resides 
in us. And when he resides in us, we know him. Do we? Do we know him? Do we feel in intimate knowledge and relationship with him? We should. We are invited by Christ to dare courageously to know the spirit in us. We know the spirit if intimately and personally ask him to console us in particular in moments of suffering, to rejoice with us in moments of joy. If we ask him to reveal to us our evil and our wrong ways to cope with reality, with ourselves and with others, and to root these wrong ways out, he responds. We read in the first reading of the Acts of the Apostles that crippled, uh, possessed, so many healings. The whole city rejoiced. We float when we dare to ask to the Holy Spirit to liberate us and we experience liberation. We can truly say the Lord is my savior because we felt it in our skin. I say we should dare to ask because we often refrain to address the Holy Spirit in us out of fear. This subtle and pernicious fear that if we don't get the desired results, we may be disappointed and we may lose our faith. But my friends, our faith, we are not part of a propaganda. We are not part of a party that we need to bolster our propaganda when we find the evidence we put it under the carpet because what we believe is false. Christ is reason. God is real. So don't be afraid of that. Address the Holy Spirit and he will respond truly in the way he wants, who is more wise than us. God is more wise than us, is wiser than us. So what we may fear is that his ways are not our ways. Yes, in this pilgrimage on earth, following God, welcoming his ways can cause us suffering. We cannot be naive in that. We need to know it. But we need to remember that that suffering is the initial of the liberation. It will not be the end. The Holy Spirit is well known through our Blessed Mother. She is the one who had the miracle of conceiving Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. She's been the spouse of the Holy Spirit. She's the one that knows him more intimately than any other human creature. So we need to invoke the Holy Spirit through our Blessed Mother. We need to ask our Blessed Mother to shape our hearts that may be more vulnerable that we have less fear in front of the Holy Spirit, that we have the right fear as God, that he may act in us, that we may follow him so that we may be open to see the miracles he performs in our life. Come Holy Spirit, come through Mary.